In the Fuzzy Memories podcast, we celebrate the good, the rad, and the fugly of the 80s and 90s. We're three latchkey kids who made it out alive. And in each episode, we break down all the culture that popped one year at a time. Whether it's the birth of legends. I'm Lyme disease free today and I have Whitney Houston and MTV to thank. (laughs) Or audacious moves. Imagine also the the poor Golden Gate Bridge. You turn 75 and people have a party on you. I don't want that. Or even confusing PSAs. In the stop, drop, and roll. I mean, we would, I assume as an adult, I would catch on fire weekly. All the time! (laughs) We've got a take that will make you laugh. We've also got thoughts on all sorts of random phenomena and the most unmitigated of golf. Why sharks can't be trusted, people can't be trusted, and rivers can't be trusted. (laughs) It's collusion. It's of the highest degree! Uh Uh-huh. You were counseling me to start my remarks with, first of all, bitch. <laughs> that one, everyone in that room would have snapped to attention. It's going to be basically coffee lids, shark revenge, and then maybe like Matt gets. <laughs> we need to do something about him. Join us every other Wednesday to celebrate the hits, the misses, and the misfits of the weirdest decades. If I could tell my 14-year-old self from 1990 that I would be eating in a cheesecake factory in, in Beverly, Beverly Hills, I'd be like, we did it. We, we did it, Joe. We did it. <laughs> Listen and subscribe to Fuzzy Memories on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. Hello, and welcome to Broads and Books. I'm Amy. And I'm Erin. And this is a very special Broads and Books bonus episode featuring a broad. That'd be me. That would be you. Yeah. Because Amy's debut short story collection, Dig Me Out, is available now. It's weird. The day that you can see this, it's about a day in the world. Yeah. An entire day. An entire day. It's 24 hours. Yeah. That's how a day's work. That, that is correct in yeah. terms of time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we thought that the listeners might enjoy hearing from you at this really important time. That's what we're banking on. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is my best mm-hmm. to answer all of Aaron's questions, mm-hmm. maybe share some thoughts, mm-hmm. some insights mm-hmm. into the writing process, maybe some things about my reading life that you don't know. There's probably not. You, not a lot that you don't know because we're a hundred episodes into this butte. We are. And we've revealed a lot we have. about ourselves. We do. We do. And I will say the tables are turned and this feels weird. Uh, I'm not sure how to feel about it. A little excited, a little weird, a little um, uh, rumbly in my tum tum. I think that's our appropriate feeling. That's the feeling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was saying to you before we started recording that often you save us in awkward moments <laughs> in interviews. So stay tuned. There's no saving. Yeah, there's no saving. Don't worry, I want to say saving. you're in good hands, but in the best hands. I mean, you put on lipstick than- today. So <laughs> this is the best hands for you. For you. Oh, I feel I feel very safe. I feel very protected feel sassy because we both got makeup on. We do. This is not a normal Sunday. No, no, no. <laughs> this is not a normal no. recording session. You're lucky I'm not in pajamas. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, 
Should we dive right in? Let's dive right in, Erin. Okay. Well, I thought we'd start with some reading questions, okay. maybe in a different way than we've talked about okay. before. Yeah. So thinking about your reading life and different phases of that, if you had to pick one book to define each period in your life, what would it be? Well, first off, I defied the rules Good. and did more than one book. Yeah. Because that's how we roll. Okay. And I thought for childhood, not just books, but those scholastic book fair handouts, <gasps> that feels like, because I don't ever remember really what I bought from those, but I remember no. the feeling of having them yes. and the possibility mm-hmm. as you're looking in the pages, like so many books. Yes. I love it. That day was, it was a glorious day. The best day. And I think maybe I was allowed to get one mm-hmm. each time or something because mm-hmm. my parents are like this one. <laughs> She needs more than the stuff that we've got at home. Yeah. And that's what happened. Mm -hmm. But in addition to that, also, I was really into Greek mythology and the Holocaust. So. Okay. All right. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So I had (laughs) two really big books about those. And that was my childhood. You know what? That's kind of great, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, to. Because Greek mythology, I mean, that's a basis for a lot of literature. Sure. You were really setting yourself up. Yeah. Great success. I liked all the weird drama. Yeah. It's like these families are messed up. Meanwhile, I was like, Sweet Valley High. Yes, please. <laughs> well, I was also doing Babysitter's, Babysitter's Club. Club. Yeah. In yeah. R.L. Stein, prescriptive fiction. No mm. problem. Yes. Christopher Pike. Here I come. Yeah. And then in my teens, that's when I really got into like Stephen King oh, and yeah. Dean Koontz yeah. and stuff like that, because sure. it was like the prescriptive, but it was really dark and really like twisty. Mm-hmm. Loved all of that. Yeah. That was my teen years. Mm -hmm. And then I think like early adulthood was Handmaid's Tale because I think I've told listeners before Mm -hmm. I read that when I was like 12 or 13, which is not the ideal demographic for that book. Yes, it it was indeed early. And I I didn't get a lot of it, but I got enough to know that like, this is awesome. This is really cool. And then, yeah, I just kept reading it every few years. And then more and more would make sense. Like, oh, okay, yeah. That's what I was going to ask. The uh-huh. question is, do you remember the first time you read it and thought, oh, I've been missing some stuff here? Yes. Like once I got into my 20s and actually started mm. like a job and and the plot point about all the women losing their jobs mm-hmm. and the money taken away unless you had a man. I was like, oh, this makes more sense now. Mm-hmm. It's devastating. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a long and varied list. I like that, the, though. the books. I think that we've learned that with a lot of writers that the it's it's varied. People's mm-hmm. reading lives are varied and that's good. It brings a lot of different things to the table. Though. And I think probably both you and I marked by the fact that we read things way early yeah. than we should have because mm-hmm. yeah. we were just looking for anything. Yeah. And that often involves some smut mm-hmm. and some mm-hmm. dark stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to it. No, no, not at all. <laughs> okay. So thinking now, like you said, the hands made tale, you understood more of it later. Is there a book that you've read as an adult that you wish that young Amy had read or was around for young Amy to read? And again, I defied it and said two. Oh, well, good. First one is Dietland. Yes. I wish. Yeah. Don't you wish like Mm -hmm. younger us had read something like that? Because it's all like we've talked about this. It's all about Mm -hmm. um, diet culture, how messed up it is, Mm -hmm. how fat phobic our culture is, and how it's based on these ideas that are just straight lies. Yes. And- yeah, I think that would have blown my little head apart. Yeah. And would have maybe changed some things about how I approached my sense of self, my sense of body, yeah. all of that. 
Yeah. It would have a, at the very least raised some questions mm-hmm. earlier yeah. about what we were taking. It made in. me wonder, like, do I have to count all my calories every day? Oh, no, maybe I don't. Maybe I don't. What? Revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. And combine that with train wreck. The book oh, train wreck. Yeah. I wish that I, that had been around or that I had read something like that because, you know, as we talked about when we mentioned that book, mm-hmm. that sense of like you're always having to compete against other women or cut down other women, like that's built into our culture. That book changed how I felt about that. Mm-hmm. It made me realize like just cutting down other women is not the way to being a feminist. It's not the right. way to being like a good person. It's just not. Right. The way to be. I hate to use this word because it's kind of a hot button word, but it made me realize like I'm not a very good ally to women who absolutely are like That's I, it. I yeah. somehow had missed looking through it in that lens mm-hmm. completely. I know. Yeah. And I was much more willing then to, yeah, to just let other women struggle. Whereas now I think a that we're older and that we've read more mm-hmm. stuff like this. I'm much more willing to, uh, you know, be that ally. Yeah. Yeah. Those are two great. I can't even imagine how different. Like if we were teens changer. and we had written that, yeah. or if we were even in our early twenties, it would have been very different. Yes. Okay. When you walk into a bookstore, yeah, you're not there for anything specific. I love that. What book are you most likely to buy? I'm going to judge a book by its cover. Yes. I'm going to look for the covers that jump out at me. Mm-hmm. That look weird. Mm-hmm. That look colorful. Mm-hmm. A good title. Okay. And yeah, I think that's, uh, I mean, it's superficial as F, but that's, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Is that what you do when you How go into a bookstore? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think you kind of just, I mosey around. There's no real rhyme or reason to it mm-hmm. until I find something that sort of sticks out to me. Yeah. It's usually what happens is I get attracted to the one that's outfaced. Yes. But then I find one next to it. Uh-huh. That's more interesting because mm-hmm. having worked in a bookstore. That's right. Your I, B Dalton days. I can tell you that. At least when I was doing it, the outspace books were done purely on size. I need to turn this so that I have this much space to get. Oh, this. so there's not a creative director like organizing what? Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. No, they would just tell us like every so often face one out and make it space out. So uh-huh. did you like that part of it? Like organizing oh, yeah. and like, yeah, I actually really enjoyed the shelving part Yeah, because you could see new books and you're organizing them. And yeah, I was way back there, not customers. I was just in a. You know, I loved that part. I loved the unboxing in the back oh, God, opening yeah. and finding out what new books got sent. I mean, to be honest, young Aaron really squandered that opportunity because well, me now in a bookstore. Oh, oh my God. It would, I, I mean, I would owe them money. I think every day <laughs> I'd be like, oh, I bought six, 16. Is that right? I bought 16. Okay. All right. Well, I worked for free for a month. That's fine. Yeah. I mean, if only we were a little more, you know, um, lackadaisical with rules and just stole them, just stole the books straight up. But then, you know, mm. now that we're in this world and we realize, oh, that's cutting people out of money. That's no good. Right. That's no good. Right. Yeah. That doesn't feel so good. No. Well, we're going to turn it a little bit to something that we haven't really talked about a lot outside of maybe some of our author interviews. Mm-hmm. We don't talk about a lot on the podcast. We're going to talk about writing. Specifically, your writing and your writing process. Yes. When was the first time you remember thinking, I want to write? Um, I have the book experience and I have other experience. So when I read The Handmaid's Tale, I think I remember thinking Mm -hmm. like, I don't get all of this, but I love it and I want to do it. Like, I want to write this. Yeah. Yeah. But also before that, because I think I was, you know, like I said, 11 or 12 when I read that before that. 
I was constantly stealing stuff. Like I'd hear a song, like the Tears for Fears song. Hold, no, it's not Tears for Fears. Thompson Twins song, Here, Hold Me Now. Okay. Like that was playing on the radio all the time. Yeah. And so I decided I was going to write a song. And all I did was just change the words around slightly. <laughs> same music. Okay. Same tune. Okay. Pretty much the same words, just maybe just swapped around. around a little bit. And then I was like, oh my God, I wrote a fucking song. That's called a remix. Yeah. Well, not in the <laughs> 80s. That was just plagiarism. <laughs> but you, I'm saying you did the first remix. Yeah, I did. I also did this with TV shows. Uh-huh. I remember there was a Growing Pains episode where like I then afterwards like went back and like wrote an alternate final scene, but it was basically that same scene with just the words moved around. That's kind of amazing. That's what you thought to do was like, I'm going to write this alternate Mm -hmm. because I think for someone who reads a book and says, wow, I don't get all of it, but I want to do that. That feels almost like you were meant to do it, that it sparks that kind of creativity. Cause I think for a lot of people, when you read a good book, for me, I'm like, wow, I could never do that. That is amazing. Well, I still have that feeling. And then it makes me feel like, oh shit, I got a lot to learn. <laughs> so it's, you know, humbling experience. Right. Yeah. yeah. I also, yeah. did I ever tell you about um, the magazine parody that I wrote? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Did, so that was, but... I think, part of the writing process too. I wrote um, based on like my mother's good housekeeping and cosmopolitan. Mm-hmm. I wrote a magazine on loose leaf paper bound together called Weird Woman magazine and it was basically like it all of the elements of the magazine like there was a business reply card with like yes I want to be a weird woman <laughs> and like <laughs> articles about being weird like I, I think I was 10 so I don't know where what was happening there there was like some chip on my shoulder yeah. that I felt like I had to defend and I went for it I like that that's the medium you chose though mm-hmm. and it's kind of a throw to if you pre-ordered your book from the publisher Atelier 26, mm-hmm. you got a zine, a zine of one of your stories. I did a zine. Which is called Weird Woman. Kind of cool. Yeah. Who knows where that is today? Probably incinerated. I wish we had it like A.D. Bryant did all of her journals oh God, that we can share it. Yeah. That's a gem. That would have been great. Mm-hmm. Some very nice uh, visuals yes. for this. I think so. Sadly, no, it's not, doesn't exist anymore. I think maybe we're looking at this wrong. Oh, I think you wrote the diet land of our ages. <gasps> you just didn't know it. I mean, I was in all seriousness, even at like age 10, I was like picking up on things from women's magazines. Like this is weird. And yeah. like, this is presented this way. And I remember like doing an ad for some ridiculous beauty product. And then next to like an article, basically making you feel like shit about yourself. <laughs> so I was, I was sort of doing that. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is what new woman's magazine. You got to make the feel like ass. Yeah. And then you got to sell them something to fix that feeling to like ass. It. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you mentioned Hands Made Tale, Margaret Atwood. Are there books or authors that influence Dig Me Out specifically? Yeah, I think so. I mean, besides Margaret Atwood, because she influences mm-hmm. everything that I do. Uh, Andrea Lawler. Oh, yeah. Which so when we talked to Andrea. That was amazing. Yeah. I had to really like hide in my fangirl. Cause when I read Paul takes the form of a mortal girl a few years ago, that really blew things open for me in terms of the way that the book explodes gender, but also like uses a bit of genre, you know, a shape shifter to Mm -hmm. go about it. I really loved that. Also love Carmen Maria Machado, Mm -hmm. uh, her body and other parties Mm -hmm. that got me thinking about what a story collection could really do, you know, and And the way that she combined all different kinds of stories, that was really exciting to me. Um, I love Dick Uh by Chris Krause, 
because that was one of those that we've always talked about. We like when books do weird formats and, Mm -hmm. and different styles and everything. And that one was so unique in that way that I wanted to do some of that myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think uh, Ray Bradbury too, because he knew how to tell a story. Yeah. Uh, Powerful, powerful story in like nine or 10 pages. Yeah. And have read him my whole life too. And it's fantastic. That's amazing because having read the book and the short story collection, I can see not elements of them, but I can see where, what, you know, how that influenced you to some degree. Oh, like I can care. see the different yeah. genres. I can see the different forms. I can see the kind of having that idea that you can just blow it open and do something entirely different. And yeah. I do think that short stories sometimes get sold short in that sense that they, that you can't be as creative or you can't do something as out of the box because you have a shortened form. Mm-hmm. And, and I find it's the opposite yes. because it's shorter, you can get weird and you can do some really cool things. And yeah, that's what really appealed to me about this. Yeah. That's amazing. It's how satisfying to be able to take something that you've read and then use that, you know, to really propel something else forward. And I think, you know, when we were talking about like, when I was just straight up stealing stuff mm-hmm. when I was younger, I think that was part of like finding your voice too, is like the first stuff that I would actually write, write was like poorly made copies of Margaret Atwood or like poorly, you know, made copies of Ray Bradbury. So it just took a while to like have those influences, but not just straight up plagiarize them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that that's so interesting. I think that's an element of writing and reading that sometimes we don't get to talk about as much because we're talking about the books, but the idea that you can get so much, not even just for writing, but ideas or feelings or new perspectives from reading which is one of what I think is one of the most rewarding parts. I mean, yeah, some of it's just pure entertainment, but sometimes it's really like you mentioned diet land train wreck. Some of those are actual game changers Mm -hmm. in the way you view things. Definitely. And frankly, and I'm not just saying this because I'm interviewing you, Mm. but I would put Digney out in that category. I would. I'm not. I'm glad we've recorded this sitting right here. Yeah. You're sitting right here and looking at my face. It feels like. If it was on my lower self-esteem days, but like she's just being nice because she's staring me right in the eyes. Yeah, no. No? no okay. No, right. I wouldn't do that. That's fair. I'd just be like, yours is great. <laughs> okay, next question. You wrote a book. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's in the world. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> okay. So we talked about books, authors. Are there pop culture favorites that influence Digney Out? Yeah, I think um I really liked Black Mirror, uh, the show. Yeah. That you know is now on Netflix. I liked that it's basically like a, an anthology of short stories mm-hmm. and all of them, obviously that one, there's a little more sci-fi and genre stuff because it's talking about technology and our future, but that gave me the idea for several of the stories of Dig Me Out. And so that is definitely an influence, but beyond that is music, as you know, yeah, and particularly punk and indie music and especially like Riot Girl music. And what I liked about those is I think there's such anger behind that music and when it's women performing the music and it's women performing their anger, it's so fucking revolutionary and it shouldn't yeah. be, Yeah. but we're taught not to show our anger. We're taught not to like, let it out. Mm-hmm. And so when women do, it's so powerful. And I wanted to sort of channel that spirit into some of the stories by talking about, you know, some angry women, but just in the ways that maybe ways that you wouldn't expect, which to me is sort of women's punk. Yeah. Right, girl. I can't. Well, obviously we know that from some of the titles Mm -hmm. and and that type of thing too, but that's another 
area that's interesting. When you think about pop culture, we talk about movies, we talk about TV shows a lot. And the idea that you get ideas from that, you know, it's different than like when you were younger and you just, all you could think was to regurgitate it or to change a little part of it. But when Mm -hmm. it actually inspires something, or you think about like, oh, what if this happened? Yeah. I love that. Do you get that? Do you find that that happens to you a lot now that you do writing on a regular basis that it sparks different things, spark different ideas, maybe out with someone or, you know, it definitely do. And I think like, because there were many years, like I wrote a novel in my twenties that just really sucked Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure out why it sucked. And so I just took it on as a failure. Like, oh, I I suck at this. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't write for a long time. because it was like me punishing myself because like, well, you didn't Mm -hmm. do it right the first time. So you don't ever get to do it again, which was wrong. Right. So when I started writing again, like maybe seven or eight years ago now, it was like, once I allowed myself to do that, then it was like everywhere are ideas, you know, before, like, I just, I would maybe have ideas, but I would push them away. But now when you're actively writing, I feel like you're more receptive to that stuff. Yeah. So when you're watching stuff, like I'm watching it for enjoyment, but every once in a while, I'm also like, wait a second. Yeah. That's a cool idea. And what could I do with that? That's amazing. I like that insight into how your brain works. It's a scary place in there. <laughs> and <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's pretty legit right now. It wrote a book. Like I'm, I just gave all the credit to your brain. Just uh, done. I'll, it wrote I'll, a book. It did. It wrote it. It went right through my fingers. So it typed yeah. like this. <laughs> but he typed out Since that we're book. videoing, people uh-huh. can see what I'm doing. Because that's how it goes, right? When you write it, just all flows like that. Straight up Jack Kerouac on speed for three weeks. Just, yeah, that's how it works. That's a visual. All right. Okay. Yeah. All right. So thinking specifically still about writing, what is the best writing advice you've ever received? I think... Some of the worst is also the best, if that makes okay, sense. Okay, yeah. So like some of the worst advice is uh, write what you know, because mm-hmm. I think that discounts something called imagination, which is a True. powerful tool. Yeah. And things that you can imagine um, probably may not happen mm-hmm. and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think there's an element of trying to infuse you know, your lived experience and humanity into whatever story that mm-hmm. you have. But if you're just going to straight up write what you know, then you can't write Paul takes the form of a mortal girl. True. You can't write The Handmaid's Tale, yeah. like all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think along the same lines is this idea of what you should write versus shouldn't write. Like Mm -hmm. I did go to an MFA program Mm -hmm. and there was some guidance about like, you know, the right way to write versus the wrong, Mm -hmm. not a lot. Cause I think my program was pretty good, but it, uh, whenever I would hear either one, I'd be like, well, but I've seen it work in other places. So yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's true. So I think all writing advice can be both bad and good because it can make you like, Sort of like, no, I want to do it different. Yeah. And I've seen it work different. So I'm going to do it different. Uh-huh. Does that answer the question? Sort it of. Does. I kind of went on a cir- no, circuit like route it. there. I know. Yeah. I know what you did there. And I think, yeah, that's a, that's valid. I think also that like, there's this idea that um, if you don't make it in your twenties, then you're not going to make it. It's over. And I'm in the forties yeah. and my first book is coming out. So I think that that's. I think that's sort of a bias of our culture anyway, is Mm -hmm. we prioritize youth Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's all those awards like 30 under 30 and stuff like that. Yeah. And once I set that aside, it was like, no, I'm going to be older than that. Yeah. (laughs) Then that was, that was freeing too. That was, yeah. Mm -hmm. What would be, if you had to give writing advice to say someone that's just starting out, 
and wanting to get into it feels like this is something I want to do. What would you say? Do you think it's, do you think the MFA route's the way to go? Do you think you just start writing and see if that's something you want to do? What would you say to someone just starting? Uh, I think I'd say a couple of things that um, keep writing and your first writing is going to suck and it's going to be shit. And that's part of the process Mm -hmm. is um, you have to, at least in my experience, I found that I had to write a lot in order to get to a place where I felt confident in it Mm -hmm. and felt like I had an actual voice. So I wrote like three novels that will never go anywhere because they were just like practice that I had to do, Mm -hmm. that I had to do um, before I was good enough to put a book out in the Mm -hmm. world. And so I think the, the advice then is don't be afraid of that. Like it may be it may be very frustrating and it may take a lot longer than you think. But if you persevere, if you really, really want to do this and keep doing it and yeah. write the shit, get the shit out. Yeah. And then maybe you'll find something good over time. See, that's good advice. It's not um, very exciting because you don't want to know that it might take a lot longer. Than right. Yeah, that's not, yeah. Yeah. That's true. I'm thinking we could spin that and you could teach a writing class. I think so. Yeah. Just with the name of it, be like, write some shit. Yeah. Yeah. Just come. You're going to write shit. Yeah. I'm not even going to look at it. Not I'm actually, I'm going to sit here and do my own writing. Sit it. <laughs> I might even read. You do that. And I, you're going to get a valuable lesson. Yeah. And if you want me to give feedback, I'll say, yes, this is shit. It's bad. Because that was the point of this. That's the whole point. Don't write give me anything good. Yeah. I want only shit. Write the bad, bad stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's accurate. <laughs> Maybe even plagiarize and just don't do anything with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the sky's the limit. It is. Yeah. So. See, so then early on, what I was doing was just writing down the lyrics to songs. I wasn't even changing them. I was just writing them out from memory. I mean, that's part of it too, right? Yeah. Like understanding, oh, they're actually saying like a story to the song. I think that was part of the process. Like, oh, like it's not just the music part. Like there's words. And they thought this through. through. Amazing. Yeah. And it's funny because like, as much as I love and obsessed with music, I knew I never wanted to actually make music yeah. because I knew like this whole coordination thing, ah. like that's not going to work. Mm-hmm. I can type like a monkey, type, 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 tippity type, tippity type with those fingers. <laughs> can't use those fingers to do guitar strings okay, that's or fair. piano keys. That's fair. Can't do it. Mm-hmm. Well, your art form just came in a different way Did- and that's okay. Yeah. That's all right. Mm-hmm. Which brings us specifically to your book, mm. Dig Me Out, which mm-hmm. as we mentioned, it's available now from Italy 26 books, but it's available at all fine book retailers. All the places you would buy books. All the places. Yeah. It's there. What do you think is the most surprising thing about the publishing process? How slow it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, that there's really no sense of urgency, which mm. was shocking to me. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe because my day career is in communications and advertising and marketing where you get shit done fast yeah. and you got to get it done fast and you have deadlines, you don't miss those deadlines. And so like the, the idea that I would sign a book contract and then my book wouldn't come out for a year and a half, which yeah. is still kind of fast for some right. publishing houses was shocking to yeah. me as well as like, it's not a straight line. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that so many of us are told that you need to get an agent, then you need to do this, and then you need to do this. And there's a specific set of steps. And and we may get into this, but I found that that wasn't necessarily the series of steps that I needed to take. Right. And that I could call time out and take a different path. But yeah, Yeah. it's slow, Erin. It's slow. That's I, 
that is not something I would have known without knowing the process from you. And I was surprised about that too. Mm -hmm. Just at at the length that goes in between things is it's a lot different than you would imagine. Yeah. I think because we live in a very urgent society, right? We're used to things being done very quickly and get it out there, do it fast and beat the next person. So for the most part, those like those hardcover books that you're getting from the store, that author finished writing that probably two, three years ago mm-hmm. at the latest. Mm-hmm. And the last like couple of years has just been creating everything around the book to get it out there. To get it out there. So it's another thought then too, that like when we're talking to authors or when other people are talking to authors, they're like, wait, what did I write? That was so long ago. It was years ago. Right. I don't even know. They're working on a different project. Yeah. They're thinking about it differently. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. How long have you been working on this book then when we talk about it being slow? Like what was the original idea and how did that change when we got to the finished product? I started this in 2017 and I started it as part of my uh, grad school program and I wrote it between 2017 to 2018. So about a year, maybe a year and a half. And then for the year of 2019, I did work with an agent And there was a lot of good that came out of that, but there was also a lot of like, ah, this just isn't where I want to go. This Mm -hmm. isn't what, I don't think we envisioned the same sort of future for this book. And so after that, in 2020, I found the small press that I'm with. And so it comes out now. So the writing started and was finished pretty much between 2017 and 2018. Okay. Yeah. Do you, did the finished product change a lot outside of, you know, uh, we are aware there's a normal editing process mm-hmm. and stuff, but the idea is basically the same. Same. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And some of the um, stories had been published in other places and the final versions that you see in the book are probably different from those, Okay, but not significantly. Right. Yeah. Okay. Just maybe tweaked or things mm-hmm. here or there. Mm-hmm what would you say has been your favorite part of this process or the part that you enjoyed the most? There's two things. I really do like the creation process where like I would come up because one thing I maybe didn't explicitly say is that each of the stories are named after songs. Mm -hmm. And when I would make that connection, when I was writing it and I was writing the story and then I realized like, Oh, this is the perfect song to tie to this and the title. And there were those moments of like, God damn it. I know what I'm doing. This is awesome. Mm -hmm. It felt really good. Um, so those moments of creation mm-hmm. were kind of fun, but I will say in the last like week or so, when I'm getting pictures of people like holding the book in their hands or they're sending me texts with like things that they're really excited about or interested in, that has been, that has been really fun. And yeah. I, I think I'd kind of hoped for that and didn't really know what to expect. And it's been really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It has to feel so gratifying to have, I mean, cause you write these stories they are on your computer, they're on a piece of paper and then to see it in a final product that yeah. someone that you don't even know can pick up and read just, I know. I mean, it's kind of like, and that's where like so far it's mostly people that I know that have been sending mm-hmm. me stuff. It'll be really interesting to see how it gets out into the world. And if I hear from other people and yeah, that'll be interesting. No, I'm very, I'm very excited for some fan interactions for you. Cause that's a question we often ask authors is what were some fan interactions you've had? I hope we get such weird ones. I do too. Because then we can share them. Yes. On our podcast. And I see the potential for some of the things like Mona Wad jumped to mind that somebody Mm -hmm. drew, you know, the bunny or they had a bunny tattoo. Yes, You have some imagery in there that I think could feed that, feed that fire for Mm -hmm. someone. Mm -hmm. That could be great. Yeah. I mean, I got a tattoo. I was going to say you have. Yeah. 
the lo- quote unquote logo, I guess yes. you could call it. Show the video. <laughs> there it is. We're so it's good real. on camera. Do you want me to? <laughs> <laughs> yes, because like I, I love the design of mm-hmm. the book so much. I loved it's how it turned out. Yeah. And I was like, well, I need to, I need to mark this on my body because that's how I do things. Yeah. Um, I think it was a solid choice. Thank you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How would you say that this process has changed you as a reader or even as a podcaster, knowing that we do a podcast about books? Mm -hmm. I think that uh, when I read, I can't always shut off the writer voice Mm -hmm. in me. Mm -hmm. And that means not necessarily like, oh, I would have done differently. No, it's mostly like, God, I wish I could write as good as this person or I wish I could do this, you know, and uh, these days I haven't been able to read much because I'm just in a weird, fragile state. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be reminded that there's so many other really, really great writers out there yeah. and that maybe I should have some done something different. So I think there's a, a bit of like appreciation and like, uh, just like, wow, how did they do that kind of thing that comes from a writing place and mm-hmm. a writer's voice. But then as a podcaster, I think because I've gone through this process, I have so much appreciation for the writers that write these books mm-hmm. and realize like how much work goes into each of those books. And I love that we are, you know, that we made the decision to be positive in what we recommend mm-hmm. because then it's, it's, showing not only that we love the finished product, but man, we appreciate all the work that that writer went into to yeah. create that finished product. That's really cool. Yeah. I can see that. I, I feel that way as a reader, we've talked about that a lot, that we're a lot more willing to abandon a book if it's not speaking to us. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that part of me has really been honed by the podcast. So I have to imagine that, yeah, as a reader, that experience, or as a writer, excuse me, that experience of reading has to take on sort of a whole new life in a way. Yeah. You know, like you said, right now, you're not, you know, I, you're at a very high time, you know, Mm -hmm. it's coming out. So I can see like, no, I need a break, but then I can also see that it just changes how you view how someone put all that together. Yeah. Yeah. And I've discovered that um, as a writer, I read the acknowledgements more than a lot of other readers yeah, might. Yeah. Um, I brought this up to book club once. I was like, well, she said in the acknowledgements this. And they're like, what are the acknowledgements? I'm like, oh, that. Okay. See that. I'm looking at that as ways to be because I get to write one of those one yeah. day and I got to figure out what to do. And, right. Yeah. So I'm looking for like as a writer, I think I'm looking for more sort of behind the scenes stuff too. Like, how did that happen? Right. Who, did, who helped with that? And, yeah. yeah. I'm always fascinated when we talk to authors to hear about their writing process. And I guess that's something we didn't specifically ask you. Do you have a specific process? Like, do you set aside a certain amount of time a day? Do you, how does that work for you? Cause you work a pretty demanding job from home that takes mm-hmm. up a lot of time. So yeah. how do you carve out creative space or switch back and forth? Um, right now I'm not. Yeah. So there's that. Well, uh, But I think what I try to do is I I really do try and organize my day in chunks because there is, you know, so much that we're doing. And I find that I can write a little bit um, later afternoon um, and sometimes at night as well. Um, But uh, it it really depends on there's there's sometimes where I just sit down and there's just nothing. And I can sit there and I can feel like shitty about it and be like, God, I wish what is wrong with me? Why can't I write? Or if it's just not coming, I'm these days I'm just letting myself be like, it's not coming. It's fine. Because then there will be times where I sit down and it comes like a motherfucker and it's ready to go. And so I just have to, I have to give myself a little bit of patience there, I guess, you know, 
I don't remember if it was one of our author interviews or if it was a, an interview I read with an author that one time said, even when they're not writing, they're sort of doing elements that are writing. Yeah. They're watching something, like you said, that's giving you ideas or you're reading something and saying, wow, I had never thought of expanding the genre that way. Mm-hmm. Or it's kind of like as a writer, you're always doing research because you're living your life and parts of that are going to influence how you write. That's very true. And outside of those times where I'm actually sitting down deliberately to write, I'm carrying around notebooks and I'm writing stuff all the time yeah. of like, you know, what about this idea? And sometimes I'll look at it and be like, what the hell is this? Yeah. That does- no, <laughs> like, that's, that's just dumb. Sometimes thought. I look at it and be like, okay, there might be something there. Yeah. But either way, I'm writing stuff down and thinking about like, okay, maybe I'll grapple with this the next time I sit down to write. Well, it has to be like anything else. I mean, our brains are a weird place. Very weird place. They bring things up at weird times. Yes. They shuffle things around at weird times. So I have to imagine that when you're really in the thick of the writing process, things have to come to you at very strange moments. And I find too that and maybe this is a result of like, you know, our attention span is so fractured these days. Yeah. Even as I'm sitting down to write and I'm writing a particular thing, I'm getting ideas for the next scene or the five scenes down the road or whatever. So I have to like, there's a whole speed thing. Like I have to go really fast or I have to have things ready to write down. And sometimes I'm firing real fast. And sometimes I'm like, there's just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there. But I like the idea of accepting that as just part of your process and saying that it just isn't working right now. So I don't force it. I think that's at least someone outside of the business that isn't trying to get a book published. I've heard that before Mm -hmm. as writing advice, like, no, you just sit down, you do it. You make yourself do it every day. You do this many words. It doesn't matter. And I've always wondered about the real value of that. Yeah. Cause I've tried that. I've tried sitting down and making myself write a thousand words every day or something. Mm -hmm. And most of the time, if I come back to that, I can tell that that, that sucked like Mm -hmm. that whole, like I hated the whole entire time. Mm -hmm. And you can tell in the final writing and like, well, that was just a waste of time and energy then. It feels like creating a habit, not creating art. Yes. Sealing it when you sit down seems more authentic to art to me. And just making sure you do something all the time every day feels like a habit. Yeah. And maybe that, and that might be good for some people that habit totally. of writing might get them to the creative part. But for other people, I mean, I can yeah. see how that's not, it's just not going to feed that same energy. And I think that habit forming was part of writing those shitty books that never yeah. got published, you know, like just doing it, just mm-hmm. getting it done. And even though the product was um, poor, mm-hmm. piss poor, P- piss poor, if you will, <laughs> real, real bad. <laughs> Instead of a real, real good scale. It's not a real, real good. It's a real, real, a real, bad real scale. bad. Yeah. yeah. I cannot mm-hmm. vouch for that. I have read none of these bad novels, but I have read the dig me out that got published mm. and clearly you landed in a good place. It, so it took some, uh, some ugly stuff to to get here. So I have to believe that every writer would say that. I think so too. Mm-hmm. And maybe some writers just got started sooner than I did. Maybe um and and I think that there are definitely writers that the minute they start writing, bam, they're awesome and they're mm-hmm. talented and everything. I don't know any of them. I don't <laughs> know that was not me. Right. So you talked a little bit about you know, you went through a process with an agent. You said, this isn't the direction I want to go. Mm-hmm. You ended up with a small press. Uh, and we've heard stories of that. We even did an episode on books that were rejected multiple times yeah. before they came out. What do you think, how do you know as an author when you should keep pushing and when no, this needs more work, or this just isn't what it needs to be? Mm-hmm. Where do you think that is? What's That's the a good line? question. And I think 
I've only learned that over time because mm-hmm. that very first shitty novel that I wrote, I, I tried sending it out to agents. I tried doing everything and just got no response, just nothing mm-hmm. back. And at the time I didn't, I just figured like, I, I don't know what I quite figured, but after doing it again and again and not getting anything, that's when I took that on as sort of a personal failure. Mm-hmm. When I wrote again and I submitted again, that time there were a few more responses, like mm-hmm. people either writing back like, ah, uh, you know, not really what I'm looking for these days or whatever, or a few requests for more information. So I was like, okay, I'm improving. That's mm-hmm. great. So by the time I got ready to submit Dig Me Out and I submitted it to a few different agents and got responses back from like all of them, mm-hmm. then I was like, okay, this this is a sign right here that I've definitely, you know, I'm in a much better place. Like I've improved. So mm-hmm. I feel like just looking back over it, you know, hindsight, whatever, mm-hmm. um, the types of responses, if any, that I was getting back, both from agents and other people in the uh, writing community, they weren't very encouraging, but I kept persisting. Yeah. I think that that just speaks to kind of the difference between the habit and the art. Yeah. When you create the art, you feel more passionate about it. You know that there's something there. And maybe when it's just the habit, you're like, well, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do with this, but I'm going to try. Yeah. And I think uh, when I was younger too, I was I think I was guided by the idea of what a writer should be, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. and we talked about this a little bit, like this Mm -hmm. idea of the writer as first off a younger person Mm -hmm. um, and gets noticed real fast and is writing about this or this or this. And that was never my life to begin with. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, you know, this wasn't something I could just focus. I had to, I had to get a goddamn job and I had to like, yeah, this is never like something I was looking for as a career path because mm-hmm. that just didn't make sense to me. And so this was always going to be a side passion. Mm-hmm. And so it really became a thing of like, whether I believed in myself enough to keep, to keep going and to yeah. keep trying. Sometimes I didn't, sometimes I did. But I think that that's very true to the actual authors and things that we've heard from. I mean, a lot of times starting out, they had other jobs and maybe now if they're very popular, they're fortunate enough to have an advance or be able to do it on a more, you know, consistent level. But I also think that we've heard that a bunch too. The idea of writing gets Mm -hmm. thrown around a lot, like the hard work of writing, but not really ever getting to what, no, what do you actually do though? How does your process actually work? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's romanticized so Mm -hmm. much that yeah, you sit down and there's birds chirping outside the window and you got a hot cup of tea and there's always a hot beverage and you're on a perfectly clean desk and there's no outside noise no. and nothing like that. And you're just, it's just you and your art for eight hours a day. I imagine there are maybe five people like that yeah. in the writing world. Like this stuff doesn't pay. And I feel like they're all old white guys. They're all old white that guys. That have been put in a movie somewhere. Yes. They're, you know. Yes. They're actually the guy that you would avoid in your neighborhood, but somehow they got romanticized into a movie. And yes. like all they do is sit with their typewriter. Yeah. Everybody's like, there's computers. He's like, no, I prefer my typewriter. Yeah, I want my typewriter. Yeah. I like the feel of it on my fingers. Yeah. Yeah, there's some pretentious assholes out there. That mm-hmm. That's them. Mm-hmm. That's not the reality for the most of us. No, no. And usually that's not the stuff that I'm interested in. Nope. No. No. I want the messy real life stuff. I want the real life stuff. Which is what you're going to get when you dig me out. And maybe because we've had to work around that is why there's so much anger. Because yeah. listen. A source, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why the women in my book are angry. All of them rightly so. Yeah. And all of them relatably so, yeah. <laughs> I think. 
you know? Yeah. I think that that's one great thing about the book is that it isn't, I mean, yes, it's anger, but it's anger from so many different places that it's almost like, I wish we had a different word for it yes. to represent it. Cause it's yeah. not always just straight anger. It's frustration that comes out as anger. It's, you know, inequality that mm-hmm. comes out as anger. It's feeling oppressed. It's feeling inferior. It's feeling like you can't do what you really want to do because someone's keeping you from doing it. Yeah. If only someone would get out of your way. I had um, like an imaginary fan interaction in my head yesterday where like, I imagine at some point there's going to be a mediocre white guy that asks, Mm -hmm. why, why are you angry? Why are the women angry? Mm -hmm. You're like, well, because of you fella, because of you, because your lack of information. Well, I, some fan interactions are standing out in my head from authors we heard of a couple being like, oh, you look like your author photo (laughs) or, oh, you must have a lot of trauma. Couples, those really stand out to me. And I can tell you as a ride or die, if that happens at an event, mm-hmm. I will personally tackle that person. Oh, I can't wait. Happily take an assault charge. <laughs> I can't wait. Because I will have bail money ready. It will I be. Just, yeah. Yeah. Now this is, you know, limited by the fact that I have only one in-person event. Everything else is virtual right. because, you know, right. 2021. Because here we are still. But yeah, yeah, we can, we can see what happens at some of those things. Well. Yeah. I'm anticipating that this will not be the end of your writing career. So I'm thinking even future forward, there could be other events that I may or may not need to. That's a good point because the other things that I'm working on um, continue this theme and get a little even more in your face. So we might get some nice mediocre white guys coming at us. I mean, you brought it up. So is there anything you can tell us about what you're working on? I have, um, I have a novel Mm -hmm. that uh, I'm working on and yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. And then then I I started, started writing sort of like a, I guess a memoir in sort of fragments and pieces. Um, I'm, I'm at a a place where I'm like, I'm not sure if I want to keep going or not. Mm. So it could be one of those things that just goes in the drawer Mm -hmm. or it could be something in for the future. Stay tuned. Yeah. Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for being here today. Well, Aaron, this is part of our (laughs) weekly schedule. So I'm always here. This is my house. And you came into my house and started asking me questions. That's that's fair. Thanks for not kicking me out. Is that better? (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, in all seriousness, though, I know that this is a departure from what we normally do. It's kind of putting you on the spot you know, having to talk about your writing, your publishing process. It's, I am a little sweaty. I'm yeah, it's that. a vulnerable yeah. place, uh-huh. you know, and I think that that's something that maybe even our listeners don't understand that some of our authors might have that feeling. We get starstruck because we, we love them so much. We love the books, but we forget how very personal that can be sometimes to share all of that. Mm-hmm. So as I've said, dig me out, out now, which means at this moment, you can get it. This particular moment. Even if you didn't pre-order, it's still available now. Yes. You can go to all the places you normally buy books mm-hmm. and check it out, as well as the Atelier 26 books website, which you can go there, your books on there, other great books that they've published. Also, if you haven't done this yet, I don't know what you've been up to, but whatever. If you follow Amy on social and subscribe to her newsletter from her website, amyleelillard.com, you can get all your latest book news. So you know about the in-person event you know about the virtual events, you know, all of the things, all the stuff you got, there's nominations for awards on there. Yeah. That I didn't even know about. Well, I like to, you know, just surprise you. Yeah. I do like the surprise. Yeah. It was fun. (laughs) I was like, wait, what? (laughs) 
<laughs> so you can get all of that. So if you haven't done any of that, you definitely need to do that. And I do believe, is there a link to your website on our, on broads and books? Right? There is indeed. Yes. yes. So if you are not, if you're not familiar with how Google works, I guess, <laughs> I don't <laughs> try to throw you a bone. There's a million ways to do it. So do it. And it's in our show notes too. I'll make sure oh, of that. Yeah. Yeah. Because go. that's there where we're go. at with technology is I can include right my own personal click, link click, in click. the clicker. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but in case one more time, <laughs> amylielillard.com. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next time with a regular weekly themed episode. It will not be about me. It'll be about other books. Yeah, It'll be, be our we thing. I work it in. Who knows? Well, that's true. I mean, who knows? It could be two weeks of weirdness that we might want to talk about. We might. You never know with us. And you that's why know. you keep coming back. Admit it. So in the meantime, I like the pointing. We want you to the video to come back next week. <laughs> and in the meantime, happy reading. I'm up again. Same night, another dream. Before trying this recording thing, I didn't remember much of anything of these dreams. I didn't remember much from any of the women. And one night of doing this, and it's broken things open. The dreams are, they're in me, and they're they are coming out of me, and... To me, I am not broken. I am the most whole, most real. Their despair. I cause their despair. I wait for the word. I wait for the word. Witch. 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 Look at the mad woman in her cage. She was a woman with holes inside her. That was the heaviest factor. The final evidence. The heart of the issue. Somehow, you understand this. You. You. You hear me. Wherever you are, whatever this is, you... This isn't a dream journal anymore. It's not. That's just, it's just fact. (laughs) Because now this is, this is some sort of record. What are these dreams? Maybe there's a better question. Who are these women? Weird Woman is a Broads and Books production. All nine episodes are available January 10th. Listen and subscribe to Weird Woman on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite podcast platform. That's W-Y-R-D Woman, wherever you listen to podcasts.